Welcome in to Two for One Drafts. This is Austin Gale with Mike Renner. I'm loving this episode. Super excited to get into it. We're going to be talking about the top five at each defensive position on PFF's latest big board. We're also going to get into our normal Tuesday segments here. Coming off some pretty good championship games. We're going to raise a glass to some of our top prospect performances. We're also going to pour one out for some of those bad ones. Then you got Rolling Rooks and Blackouts, the top and bottom performances from the NFL's rookies. Let's go ahead and dive into this defensive top five first. The way we're going to do this thing, I'm going to read the full top five, mm-hmm. and then, Renner, I want you to give your take on some of your favorites on this list here. Yes, sir. Obviously, they're all favorites. They're top fives, but... Yeah, I mean, like, you can get to the fifth best player in class, and you can, depending on the position, you can be like, this guy's not that good. Yep. So. All right, let's start with edge defender. Obviously, number one is going to be Chase Young of Ohio State. Number two, A.J. Yeah. Epinesa of Iowa Curtis Weaver of Boise State falling at number three. You still have this bias. Julian Aquara of Notre Dame, edge defender at number four. Then you have Carlos Basham Jr., edge defender, Wake Forest at five. Close but no cigar. I'm going to throw these guys in there, too. Terrell Lewis, Alabama edge defender, and also Bradley Anae of Utah. A lot of great names. Obviously, it's first first question I have for you here is it's a two-man race, but no one's it's really a one-man race. Yeah, okay. I was going to say it's more of like a top four and then kind of like i think there's a clear delineation after four julian aquara you want one of those top four if you need pass rushing help and you want it to happen sort of soon and to your point about julian aquara me being a homer he had a 90.4 pass rushing grade this year before he got hurt and he's a pretty freaky athlete how many of those, those games usually tend grade? to work i didn't grade any of them this year i didn't i was just doing prospects so no grading for me this year on notre dame so i couldn't bump up all the grades like i usually do just kidding i never did that in the past but i do think the clear delineation after Akwara, everyone after that has some big question marks. I think those top four, Chase Young. So Young is tier one. Mm-hmm. Young is uh, can't miss whatever you want to say, generational, however you want to describe it. He's as good an edge prospect as we've ever seen. And he's an athletic freak. He is a physical freak in terms of his build. Everything he has about him suggests he's going to be a pro bowl to all pro level player sooner rather than later in the NFL. Those next group of age, Epinesa, Curtis Weaver, Julian Aquara, in my opinion, fairly close. I think Epinesa, just in terms of physical freakishness, is at the top of that list and having done it as you know already a sophomore and now a junior younger than the other guys on that list. I feel comfortable about him at two, but I think all three of those guys have all the tools necessary to be plus pass rushers, quality pass rushers in the NFL very soon out the gate. You know, Aquara is uh, going to test off the charts athletically. Curse Weaver has the most uh, refined set of pass rushing moves and is no slouch himself as an athlete and very powerful. And then Epinesa is just, you know, 6'6", 280, can do it all line up anywhere along the defensive line so those four and then it kind of trails off but i think all those guys offer some promise basham a physical freak in his own right just sort of putting it together we've talked about him a lot trail lewis had a monster year uh he's still kind of i don't think he's a freak athletically he's athletic but i don't think he's a freak and then an a we've talked about him a lot also not super athletic but uses hands really well has beat up some good tackles over the course of the year so i I do uh and he had some good reps against sewell as well this past week so uh, but sewell did end up getting the better of him you know, obviously Chase Young, his grade so well this year, he's going to break a lot of PFF records in that regard from a pass rushing perspective. I don't see him leaving this number one spot, and I know you don't either. However, after him, do you see any changes potentially with the combine, senior bowl? Are there opportunities for other edge defenders in this class or even guys already on this list to jump ahead of each other? Do you see any change upcoming? Uh, that's a good question. I, I don't think anyone's going to jump Epinesa in my eyes unless he really doesn't 
test well whatsoever, uh, which I, I don't see that happening. Uh, I could see someone, uh, I could see someone like uh, Clavon Chason or Trell Lewis, depending on their testing numbers, jumping up on this list. Chason didn't do too poorly against Georgia this past week. He had a couple nice reps uh, against Andrew Thomas, even though I think Thomas won. If you're looking at the overall matchup, Thomas had some dominant reps against him and Chason. I, I think he comes back to school just because he's his build right now is so not like an edge defender. I think he still needs to put on some more muscle. So I, I don't really see that top four necessarily changing too much. After that, we can talk. To weigh in here on where the kind of PFF grades stand right now, Chase Young, a 96.8 PFF pass rush grade, far and away the best in college football right now. Right behind him, though, is a guy you've mentioned, Quincy Roche. I think he has an opportunity to potentially make a name for himself in this class as more people start to get to the tape. And then at number three, Curtis Weaver, a 92.5 PFF pass rush grade. And if you listen to last week's podcast, we talked to um, Dane Brugler, and he brought up Alex Highsmith, a guy that's graded really well this season, Mm -hmm. sixth in PFF pass rush grade, 91.1, a sleeper in this edge class not quite top five but another guy to kind of keep yes. an eye out for for sure let's move to the next position defensive interior <clears throat> some interesting names on this one Derek brown of auburn your number one guy then you also have javon kinlaw of south carolina at two marvin wilson at three a guy that had potential to be d you know di number mm-hmm. one fell off a little bit then we go to number four jordan elliott of missouri number five neville gallimore the canadian born oklahoma kid mm-hmm. texas a&m justin matabuke is close but no cigar on that t- yes. uh, that top five list but there's a ton of talent at defensive interior here edge defender kind of gets the limelight the spotlight because of curtis um i mean chase young and company mm-hmm. but i do like a lot of this na- a lot of these names on the five here yeah this top four so Derek brown javon kinlaw marvin wilson of fsu and then jordan elliott I think it's the closest single position between one and four uh, in my eyes. I think there's not a huge difference between uh, one, two, three, and four. I think they're all very talented players, can all rush the passer, can all stop the run. I think all our first-round caliber type players, Jordan Elliott this year, Missouri defensive tackle, he outgraded Derek Brown in SEC play. Not wow. just overall for the season, you know, having played uh, some cupcakes on his list, too, that he dominated. He outgraded Derek Brown in SEC play this year. I think he's getting underrated. He's going to test very well athletically in his own right. So I think all four of those guys, if you're in need of defensive tackle help, go get one of those. Another one where uh, it just happened so happened to work out this way, where it's a clear delineation after the top four. I think you, if you need defensive tackle help, get one of those four. But in my mind, they're fairly interchangeable. I don't think one has a dominant trait over the other. If there were to be any, I think it is Javon Kinlaw's sort of size burst combo is probably the most uh, impressive trait that any of these guys do have in terms of projecting to the next level. But at the same time, they're really all good athletes, good with their hands, good against the run, good as pass rushers. Like this is a clear top four in this class. And I think if you need a defensive tackle. Get one of those four, probably in the first round. Grades really reflect that as well. Looking at the top pass rush grades, according to PFF here, uh, for defensive interiors, Marvin Wilson at one, 90.9. Elliott and Javon Kinlaw tied for second, 90.7. And then Derek Brown at four, 90.6. The four best pass rushing defensive interiors in college football right now, all in your top five. And Neville Gallimore, not too far down the list at number eight. Before we dive into the next position group, we had a little live chat here on the YouTube comments. Mm-hmm. They want to hear more about Itor Gross Matos. Is he, a, does he, is he a guy that could have an opportunity to rise a little bit? I know we've talked about him as a project, a ton of, uh, you know, athletic tools, a guy that's gotten better every year at Penn State, but you still don't see that high end from him yet. Where are you at with uh, Itor? I guess 
I think if like he had another year, I could see it putting him in that category. I, I just haven't seen the breadth of sort of pass rushing dominance from him. Uh, he, he dominated some bad competition this year. Highest graded pass rushing game came against Idaho. Uh, another of his top three graded pass rushing games comes against Buffalo this year. Like those were, yes, you expect guys to dominate that, but against Big Ten play was fine. I did not see elite, and I'm not sure he's going to and now he looks the part very much at 6'5", 259 uh, with the long arms, but I'm not sure he's going to have, you know, run a 4'6", 4'. I'm not sure if he's that level of athlete. So I guess he could push his way up if he does surprise me with his testing numbers, but I just think uh, I, I don't, we haven't seen like only 35 total pressures this past season. Like that's, we just haven't seen it for long enough, uh, especially since last year, 67.7 grade back pass rushing grade back in 2018. Like he's just fine in my eyes, not necessarily in that top group yet. Definitely. You know, some, you see some consider him as a first round talent. I think he, mm-hmm. you know, has an opportunity, I guess, to potentially rise into that thing. But I definitely agree with you on a lot of that. You said, um, so the next uh, position group linebacker, which I think is an interesting one. Cause I think the guy at the top is a very rare breed. Isaiah Simmons of Clemson, a guy that could play multiple positions. In the NFL and kind of does that for Clemson. He plays a little bit of you know, kind of a hybrid safety linebacker role. You've talked about it in the past. He could play slot corner. He could play deep safety, but he probably best projects as an off ball linebacker, that second level player in the NFL. After him, Willie Gay Jr. of Mississippi State, Troy Dye of Oregon at number three, Zach Bond, who plays edge defender right now, mm-hmm. mostly for Wisconsin, moving to off ball linebacker at number four. And then Utah's Francis Bernard, who I came away you know, pretty impressed with against in that Oregon loss, but I think Francis Bernard is a guy I want to dive more tape into for sure. Yeah, and I also put, uh, I'd say, Wyoming's Logan Wilson. Uh, I'd put him close as well. And then Oklahoma's Kenneth Murray, who has actually looked like a different player the second half of the season. We'll get to him uh, a little later on when we're doing the race glass segment. But I will say Simmons at the top, is an interesting one because even compared to the athletic linebackers in recent years, who we've had questions about their sort of run defense, Devin White, uh, guys like that, he Simmons just does not really play in the box to know what he's going to be like in run defense. And he is, I don't want to call him soft, but he him taking on blocks in the run game compared to even a guy like Troy Dye taking on blocks, who they're similarly built. They're both like 6'4", 230, something like that, is different. Troy Dye takes on blocks with a lot more physicality, is a lot more willing to attack offensive linemen. Simmons in the box is just still, uh, he looks more like a safety play in the box. But I don't think, I think if you played him at deep safety, that's a waste of his talents in the NFL. I think his best role is around the line of scrimmage. And you see rare coverage plays from him, whether it's covering the slot. Uh, this past week, I mean, he made a play running too deep middle safety uh, on a pass breakup that just like you don't, you wouldn't see linebackers doing in the NFL even. So he has all the coverage ability, but run defense is a, is a massive question mark with Isaiah Simmons. I'm not going to say that's not. Willie Gay Jr., I, I'm pretty sure he's coming back to school. Like, the dude barely played this past year for Mississippi State uh, when he got suspended, had some injuries when he was on the field. He had another elite coverage grade for Mississippi State, another grade of 90 plus. Had a pick six in the Kentucky game. He's going to run a 4-4 something when he comes out, uh, but I don't think it's going to be this year. Dude only played 133 snaps this season, so as a true junior. So I don't think he's coming out, but I, I love his skill set whenever he does. Dye's another guy we'll touch on later, actually, for the Raising Glass segment, but Bond. Uh, really like Bond. He's one of the biggest movers. He made our all draft stock team that we'll talk about probably on the pod Thursday in terms of guys who moved up our board the most this year. But he reminds me, and now this is like 
this is hacky to say. Joe reminds Schobert. me a lot of Joe Schobert, though. <laughs> like, uh, at least they're not both white. That would be like very hacky. But no, he reminds me a lot of Joe Schobert because uh, just in that sort of he takes on blocks really well, but I don't think he's good enough to actually rush the passer at the NFL level. But that taking on blocks ability, ability to bend, the sort of like football instincts that he has will translate well to off-ball linebacker. We've seen him make plays in coverage, had a pick six earlier this year. So I do think that Zach Bond uh, is a very strong candidate to kick to off-ball linebacker and produce well in that role. He's got a really interesting grading profile. You look at 96 snaps in coverage and 86.3 PFF coverage grade there. But he's also got 335 pass rush snaps and a 90.9 PFF pass rushing grade. That versatility definitely screams New England Patriots, how they use off-ball linebackers now. But um, I definitely think he has value in the NFL. The way you lose with him is, I think, Mm -hmm. playing a 6'3", 230-pound guy like him at edge defender almost exclusively. I think the way you win is get creative with his role. I think so much gets talked about on the offensive side of the ball, trying to you know get creative with certain players and use these players to the best of their ability. I think that needs to be done more on the defensive side of the ball, and Zach Bond's a, a perfect candidate to get creative and find ways to use him well. Yeah, and I think the sort of line in this is Simmons is a top 10 player for us in this class. Uh, Gay, Die Bond, second round, second, third round type of guys. Uh, Bernard, probably third rounder. And then uh, same with Logan Wilson, Kenneth Murray, the guys you touched on at this point. What are your reservations with Kenneth Murray? I, I think, you know, a lot of people are raving about his range. He's got great speed. You know, where, where are What's you that? at with him? I know it's reservations is in quotation marks because he's still obviously in the top seven here from a, from off ball linebacker standpoint. But where are you at with Kenneth? Murray? So he's a guy who I have to review the tape of the second half of the season, because I remember that his, we reviewed him going into this year. And then I watched him after some of the first handful of games uh, after he was getting some hype. And I just didn't love his sort Sort of uh, the way he uh, reacted to plays like he was just a step slow reacting and then would just take terrible angles to the football uh, because he trusted his athleticism. I mean, in terms of pure explosiveness to the ball, he's probably as good as it gets the linebacker position in college football right now. He gets up to 100 miles an hour in a blink of an eye, but he just took terrible angles to the ball, had some missed tackle problems last year, and I just didn't think his, he was sort of like, he was a step slow reacting, it was not reading stuff and getting there before things happen, and that's a big part of, you know, playing linebacker position is making up uh, ground with that, with, with your reaction ability, what you're seeing in front of you, but he has looked different this past week, we're going to get to him in the raised glass segment, like I said, looked like a very different player, uh, even though he still made sort of a, got lost in coverage at times and gave up that big touchdown but we'll uh, touch on him later. But I, I do need to go back and look at him. He may be moving up our board because he graded out a lot better the second half of the season. Let's go to cornerback. And already previewing this top five list here, I see the guys just on the outside looking in. This is te- That's telling me it's a deep cornerback yes. class because the two names you have there are very impressive. Starting with number one, Jeffrey Akuda of Ohio State, the guy with all the talent in the world and now the production. Christian Fulton of LSU, who I think has an opportunity to potentially maybe even go ahead of Akuda. A lot of people are going to like his sticky man coverage ability. I mean, they're going to like Akuda. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's hand in hand. Could have very good as well. CJ Henderson, CJ Henderson of Florida, a guy there at number three. Number four, you have Trayvon Diggs of Alabama. Five, Bryce Hall, who obviously went down with a season-ending injury this year, but still has shown in PFF's grades to have that ball production you mm-hmm. like. They avoided him this year. Yeah. Before he got hurt, he was simply just not targeted. And then close but no cigar, Cameron Dantzler of Mississippi State, who will be at the Senior Bowl, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then you also have Jalon Johnson at, um, of Utah, who's going to be making those plays. I love this cornerback class. All five of those guys I see as first rounders. I think Akuda and Fulton, clear one, two, right at the top. Almost interchangeable at this point in my eyes. Fulton has multiple, two years now, 
off the charts production in the SEC going up against the best players in the country. We're going to see him go up against Oklahoma. CD Lamb, can't wait to see that matchup. Jeffrey Okuda going up against T. Higgins, Justin Ross, can't wait to see that matchup. Those will be awesome to see in both. I, I don't think it's going to really change my evaluation unless they get just utterly torched. So uh, those will be fun, but they are one and two. And like you mentioned, they're pretty damn close in our eyes. And then the next three have some question marks on each, but I think all have sort of a trump card that puts them in the first round for us. Henderson, it's just his athleticism, being able to stick with wide receivers, uh, the patience he has at the cornerback position. Trayvon Diggs, that wingspan. I mean, the ability to affect plays in zone and press. uh, He's just so good uh, in his instincts and feel for the position. And then similarly with Bryce Hall, I mean, his ball production was off the charts back in 2018, led the nation in forced incompletions. Then don't sleep on Dantzler and don't sleep on Jalen Johnson. Jalen Johnson shooting up our board. I think both could sneak into the first round in their own right. They're both been that good. Like we mentioned with Dantzler early in the season, like the one cornerback who didn't get torched by Jamar Chase. I need to, I need to correct myself on Dantzler too. Early declaration, not a Super Bowl ah, invite. That's yeah, he's I mean. a redshirt sophomore. Yeah. So. Um, I have a good question for you. I'm putting you on the spot here. Would you draft, if he was eligible, Derek Stingley Jr. over all these guys? Yes. <laughs> but I mean, like that's, that's like saying Stingley Jr. is rare. Mm-hmm. Uh, these guys are very good, but yeah, Derek Stingley Jr. is going to be a different breed when and it comes out. I'm already getting excited for podcast two years from now. Yeah. Here we go. Wow. That's that's exciting. Definitely looking at... So the reason I bring that up, Derek Stingley Jr., 18 years old for LSU, leads the nation in PFF coverage grade at 91.8. Yep. That is incredible. He's only allowed 39.1% of his targets to be completed. Insane forcing completion numbers, two dropped interceptions along with six that he's caught. I mean, this guy's production has been insane. I know it's just the 2020 NFL draft, but I'm bringing a little three for one here and talking about some underclassmen because Derek Stingley Jr. has been quite honestly incredible. Oh, this playoff's going to be awesome to watch in terms of the prospects that are in, not just this year. You're going to have like number top picks for the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. It's a loaded playoff. Very exciting stuff. Let's go to safety here. Number one, though he does have a bit of a missed tackle problem, LSU safety Grant Delpit there at one. Number two, which I think is going to be an interesting argument because I think, you know, after Grant Delpit, it, it does get a little bit more interesting in terms of who's going to be two, three, four, and five. But number two, we have Cal's Ashton Davis. Number three, Minnesota Antoine Winfield Jr. Number four, Florida State Hamsa Nasraldine. And then Levante Taylor at number five, which I, I also like as well. I think with Ashton Davis at number two, the range sticks out to me. And then also, I, I turned on that Oregon game. I um, That pick he had against Justin Herbert was very nice. And he's also got great range on the, and hitting ability. He's willing mm-hmm. to hit despite being this former track star. I think Ashton Davis is going to wow some people for sure. Yeah, again, this is so the this class I'd see Delpit and Davis is one, two. Delpit, he almost I don't want to say throw this year out the window, but the injury, uh, some of the missed tackles, I'm still not too worried. What we saw, what he what he did as a true sophomore still sort of sticks in my mind. You still like believe in that sort of talent. So they're one and two, and then after that, it's a pretty weak class. Like I'm last year we had a bunch of guys who I considered like second rounders. I'm not sure I'd even put any of these guys, Winfield, Nasrudin, really? Levante Taylor in the second round conversation, more third rounders. Winfield, love his ball production. He actually has two years of eligibility after this if he wants, so he's not a sure thing to come back to school, even though this is his fourth year of college. He has two medical waivers already oh, that he has taken the last two years, so he could come back. But the picks that he's made uh, from a deep safety position uh, hold up against any other safety in the country in terms of how impressive they were, his ball skills, and he has his uh, father's sort of physicality. Uh, you know, he, made some, he laid the wood in his own right there. Nazarildine might honestly be a linebacker, at the next level. 
level. Like he's that big, uh, and I think his like coverage skill set projects to that position better. Uh, even though we haven't really seen him have to take on blocks in that much against the run but i think the way the nfl's game game is going he very much could slot in there and levante taylor i still believe him i liked him at the cornerback position but he was very undersized you know 510 190 has legit speed didn't adapt to safety as well as i had hoped necessarily this year but i still believe in the talent is there i I still think that in a slot sort of deep safety role he can cover a ton of ground probably going to run the four threes uh just a very explosive athlete Uh, i believe in him and he's been a solid tackler over the course of his career only eight missed tackles in his entire college career so i do think that levante taylor all the traits are there even if he only only earned a 64.0 covered uh excuse me grade overall this year on defense for fsu if you're gonna i got two things here if you're gonna watch hamsa Go to the Alabama State game and watch that interception because mm-hmm. it's an absolute treat start to finish. Uh, we've talked about that on a previous podcast. And then for Antoine Winfield Jr., turns 21 years old in August of next year. Or no, 22 years old in August of next year. I think he maybe could consider coming back. But at mm-hmm. that point, yeah, maybe right. it does make sense to kind of come out. He's uh, Like you said, he has that oh. extra years of eligibility. Um, he has, he's had a couple good games this year, too, though. Definitely some tape to recommend for Antoine Winfield Jr., before we dive into our raise a glass segment, we got to take a second here. Got to take a second to bring up our sponsors. If you are watching the podcast live on YouTube, you'll see uh, Renner and I looking better than usual. We are wearing proper cloth, courtesy of our sponsors, and they they've been fantastic for us. And I think you know you you look at you know a guy of my size who's pretty small, kind of has like a like a Hobbit feel to him. It's not easy to find stocky. your shirts. It's, yeah, it's stocky. It's definitely you know like a brick house almost stanza esque. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, it's not great. So you to find a shirt that fits. That's the biggest thing for me. Fit and feel. And I think that's where proper cloth really steps up because they allow you when you go on their website, you can see a bunch of different styles, a bunch of different, you know, Egyptian cloth, 800 thread or whatever it may be. A lot of cool things there. And also, if you if you want to get into how it looks and all that stuff, that's not really my style. It's more f- style or uh, fit and feel. We can do that, but if you want to get into how it looks, the designs are very good as well. I think so, most people would like to get into how it looks, but that's just you know, I, that, I guess you know that I guess that's um, it's it's telling given what I do wear <laughs> on camera. But you can go to proper cloth. Propercloth.com slash PFF today. And if you enter promo code PFF20, you can save $20 on your first shirt. And these shirts start at, start at $80. So exciting stuff there from Proper Cloth. We definitely appreciate our sponsors. Let's dive in and raise a glass here. Raise a glass. Got um, some exciting stuff to bring up here. You go ahead and kick off the first guy. Yes, Joey Burrow, the LSU quarterback. Uh, I mean, 28 of 38, 349 yards, four touchdowns, three big time throws, zero turnover replays against. A top five defense in college football did it again. Like he just keeps doing it at some point. Uh, there's, I think we're well past the people thinking it's a fluke. Uh, mm-hmm. I think we're well past anything. At some point we got to talk about, is he, you know, best prospect since Andrew Luck? Is he the best prospect since like wow. that sort of echelon he's in because he's having the best college football season in terms You're ready of, for that conversation in terms of who, like how well he's played against the competition he's played. He's having the best college football season we've ever seen here at PFF. Six years of grading college football. You know, better than Baker Mayfield, better than Kyler Murray, better than any of the Heisman Trophy winners we've seen in our time here. I mean, I'm I'm not sure it's in terms of age. Is it as impressive as what Jameis did as a redshirt freshman where he just lit college football on fire? That's always tough to say in terms of because Jameis Winston has been the exact same guy ever since then, so he didn't progress and never got better. He never could have had a season like Joe Burrow's having. He just wasn't that accurate. But... 
I don't know. Like it legitimately, he to me is the best prospect at the quarterback position we've seen in the PFF era. Just every sign, grade, accuracy, all points to him. It's a no brainer for the Cincinnati Bengals if they do end up with the number one overall yes. pick to bring in Joe Burrow, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, for that's and that's what I'm saying. It's like for all the hype around how good of a prospect Chase Young is for the edge position, can't miss. I think Joe Burrow should be getting similar hype to the quarterback position. That's how well he's played football this year. And it's not an age I think does matter, but some guys can't, you just can't get to that. Like you took an NFL quarterback right now. If you take, gosh, let let me think if you put Matt Stafford in the LSU offense right now, I don't think he'd play as well as Joe Burrow is Mm -hmm. like that is because he's not that accurate. He doesn't have the level of accuracy that Joe Burrow show. I just like think that there is a level of play that he's at right now that quarterback simply can't get to. Like if you're not and, and, that avo- good, you and know? avoiding avoading those just because you've graded, been in the NFL doesn't mean you can get to them and avoiding those negatively graded plays on those misses, which I think don't don't really at all show up in the box score. A simple miss here and there just looks like an incompletion. But avoiding those negatively graded plays in PFF system is is rare at the rate that yeah. Joe Burrow is doing it. It's very obviously he has the high end. The big time throws are there for Joe Burrow, but he does a great job of avoiding those negatively graded plays. And in addition to avoiding turnover when he throws, he doesn't miss a lot. He's very accurate with the football. I pulled this. Re- uh, uh, just now looking over the last three years, best single season PFF passing grades. You have Baker Mayfield's 2017 campaign at 94.5. Kyler Murray's 2018 campaign at 93.7. And then here goes Joe Burrow at 2019 at a 93.5. Right under him, Justin Fields this year. That is some elite, elite company. But And then his schedule that he's played in terms of defense is just on a different level than the mm-hmm. Big 12. Like the Big 12, he, Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray would go the whole regular season without probably facing a defense that was the fourth best that Burrow has faced this year. So it's it's kind of absurd what he's doing. That's that's always important, too. Looking at how, you know, you, you yeah. pick on some Big 12 defenses, you can earn some high PFF pass rush, uh, passing grades. You look at Will Greer has two of the top 10 PFF passing grades playing in the Big 12. But Joe Burrow Helps. doing it in the SEC. I'm going to scroll down here. Two attack of Iloa at nine is the only other SEC quarterback in the top 10. And then you scroll down a little bit further. There's two attack of Iloa again at 12 with his 2019 campaign. I think it's rare to see this level of production mm-hmm. in the SEC. Strength of competition can't get understated. And we have opponent adjusted grades. Um, using the the Massey system that Eric and George work on a ton, and they can see also Joe Burrow just elevating above the schedule that he's played. And it's, it's very impressive what Joe Burrow has done. And I know we're here in Cincinnati. Okay, I go grab a bagel before the games on a Sunday. There's a guy in a Bengals hat, and he's like, oh, and he sees my PFF hat that I wear every day, um, unfortunately. But he says, you know, hey, you work at PFF? And I was like, yeah, for sure. Um, so the Bengals have to go chase Young, right? And I'm like, no, Oof. Joe Burrow has to be the number one yes. overall pick. It's so much more valuable to get a quarterback and get into the long thing my bagel's getting cold and it's a tough conversation exactly yeah. and he's like but joe i mean chase young just takes over games he's he's got so many sacks I'm like dude the quarterback position yeah. is the most important and if i need to convince you that now it's just not going to work mm-hmm. out but i will say joe burrow number one overall definitely making sense well worth a raise the glass maybe the not the final one i think we're going to see a couple more good games yeah, from joe burrow I mean, for sure exactly i don't think i don't think like I said, if it doesn't happen now, I don't think it's going to happen against. Well, definitely not going to happen against Oklahoma, but it might happen against Clemson or OSU. I'm not sure. I don't think it will. Here's my question to you, though: Does he go to the Senior Bowl? No, what, no, no. God, you, no. You say no way. Maybe make an appearance if they fly you out because Baker Mayfield did take a the, nice trip to Mobile. Baker Mayfield did the practices but didn't play in the game. Baker had much more to prove, I'd say. Really, more yes. than Joe Burrow. One year, you're that confident. 
Yeah. All right. he, he didn't go to he didn't go to Mobile. All right. Ken, money. Kenneth Murray of Oklahoma is another raised glass fan, a guy we talked about yeah. in the linebacker segment here. You, you, what you notice immediately in his best games, he has great range, great speed, great athleticism. That all showed up in addition to some great production this past week. Yeah, shot out of a cannon. I mean, he he penetrated through Baylor's line on some run plays that just like no other linebacker in college football is hitting that hole as quickly as he was. He had some real nice plays. I still worry about him going backwards. Like he he was just lost on that uh, wide receiver running back wheel that ended up going for the long score in the second half. That was on him. He was supposed to be his guy. Uh, but his closing speed, getting to balls and plays in front of him, you can take advantage of that in a scheme in the NFL. Uh, there's a ro- role for him. And now, like I said, since week six on, he's earned a 90.5 coverage grade. Uh, had some struggles early in the year. Had missed tackles last year, 20 missed tackles last year. Cut that down mightily over the second half of the year only six uh seven over the second half of this season so he's very much uh limited those and i think he's just i like i said i have to go back and watch some of the tape on him but he looked like a different player than what i saw early on this year and last year in this baylor game a riser down the stretch two more uh, off-ball linebackers on this list that have you know definitely good performances last week uh, isaiah simmons of clemson and also troy die of oregon both these guys playing very well yeah so like i said he had a pass breakup and deep, playing deep middle safety because he plays safety slot linebacker whatever had probably the easiest pick he'll ever see i think he was just playing spy and the quarterback threw it to him but the most impressive play to me was him covering the slot and he stops on a dime on an in route and uh you know stops the receiver from even getting to the ball wasn't necessarily a pass breakup but he stopped a completion there uh his ability to do that is different than linebackers like linebackers in the nfl cannot do that there's you can name them on one hand probably the amount of guys that could cover the slot the way he does uh which to me that's so valuable in today's NFL, the ability to just be like, oh, you're going to kick your running back out and, you know, your Patriots. Oh, James White's sl- out into the slot. All of a sudden, you just throw Isaiah Simmons out there and blanket it. There's mm-hmm. no, he's not getting open against Isaiah Simmons. So I do think that's a huge, huge valuable uh, value add for him. That's why he's a top 10 player on our board and showed up again in this one. You can't do that with Tahir Whitehead. You can't do that <laughs> with Jelani Tavai. You can't do it with some of these off-ball linebackers yes. in the NFL. And that's a legitimate liability. It forces you mm-hmm. to play lighter personnel and then you get gutted in the run game it's definitely so valuable right now in today's nfl to have these linebackers that have this athleticism to actually not only not be a liability in coverage but offer some plus play and i think that's exactly what isaiah simmons offers let's go to troy die talk to me about this performance too yeah die was they used him a lot as a blitzer against utah 14 times second most uh, times he's rushed the pass this year but he had a sack a hit and four hurries he was blowing up some running backs uh as a pass rusher had a, had a nice coffee house stunt where he mm. you know did the little fake like he's dropping into coverage comes around uh did that twice actually to get home on some pressure he is physical coming downhill like i said when he takes on blocks in the run game or as a blitzer it looks different than the way isaiah simmons takes on blocks he's just rocking offensive linemen back they go backwards he doesn't go backwards uh i do worry I don't know if I can say I worry, but he has had some missed tackles after he broke his uh, thumb with that little casting on. Oh, that's right. Not an issue. Uh, if you're watching this game, three missed tackles in this game, you're like, oh, damn, the tackling. I, I think it is because of that. You know, that having that one hand wrapped up has had uh, had only three missed tackles the whole season before that happened in the Washington game. 
10 since then. So I do think that's a that's been the big issue for him, not necessarily uh, a problem for us going forward. Let's move right into the pull one out segment here. Uh, an interesting name, I think, in, in draft um, in the draft community is Creep Humphrey. I think he's some some people see him as one of the the better interior offense linemen in this yeah. class, but he's coming off a bad one for sure. Yeah, five pressures, Bravion Roy, who uh, raised a glass to him, the Baylor nose tackle dominated Creed Humphrey. Five pressures on the day uh, for him. That, that's not a good look for Humphrey, who was one of the top centers in this class, but that's probably the best nose tackle he's gone up against. Uh, obviously, had gone up against earlier this year, but uh, to have, to allow five pressures in one game in center position is not great. No. I mean, you look at his uh, grading profile here by game. Kansas State, week nine of 15.1. PFF pass blocking grade in this past week. Conference championship, 9.3. 9.3 PFF pass blocking grade. If you want to watch two games where if you have some reservations about Creed Humphrey, you mm-hmm. want to see where he can lose, those are two games definitely to recommend i think this past week against baylor feasted on five pressures like you said at the center position just unacceptable um moving forward here no, only one other guy in the poor yeah. one out segment, which is nice keeping yeah. keeping it positive here charlie brewer though baylor not not a good game for him obviously went out too went out and the other quarterbacks came in but he did not play well before before leaving the game yeah he may have had a concussion uh he got rocked there pretty before, early on but even same? still uh yeah i was gonna say even even still when he was out there three of six 15 yards took two sacks he just looked lost he, he looked like he was not know what he was uh looking at on the football field there it was bad for him and we mentioned it before he was on the preview podcast hey guy to watch could improve a stock with a good game that was the opposite the third stringer that came in though was kind of fun yeah Zeno yeah, looks pretty good 79.9 pff passing grade in this one one touchdown only threw six passes but i still, still that was came fun away. that was a fun game to watch, still kind of yeah. came away impressed with what he was uh doing with the football there uh let's go ahead and go to our next segment we're going to talk some rookies now it's always, it's two for one every time. Rooks. We're going rooks here. Rolling rook segments where we preview some of the or not preview review some of the top rookie performances. Easy one. AJ Brown. Yeah. Hello. Oakland Raiders defense wasn't ready. Daryl Worley got burnt on that deep ninety-one yard touchdown, which I uh, I think that's what it was. He also had two touchdowns total in this game. Five receptions, one hundred fifty-three yards, four broken tackles. He looks big. I mean, he's he's doing things that people expect from DK Metcalf. And mm-hmm. I think people forget this guy is huge and he's a threat after the catch. Don't forget that. And he's also getting things done before the catch as well. Some great route running. Yeah, I mean, this was not unexpected. We've seen this from him at a handful of times already this year. And he just comes in like he should be. He, I said it. What was it after week two? I wrote the article saying he should be the number one receiver mm-hmm. at some point during the season. Yeah. That's how good he looked already. And uh, lo and behold, looks like he probably is their number one receiver at this point. Five catch, like I said, 153, just burnt toast on that deep post, broken tackle on a slant. Great game from him. But how about the other rookie wide receivers? Deontay Johnson goes six catches, 60 yards, has a touchdown, four broken tackles, took a nice screen back, you know, around the other way. Some highlight real plays from him. Darius Slayton, Giants wide receiver, the touchdown, the long touchdown was kind of busted coverage, whatever. But the other one, the slant that he's been moved out of was very impressive. We were not high on him coming out. Mm-hmm. He's definitely changed my mind in terms of, uh, I just think his as explosive as he is, just getting the ball in his hands, good things happen. I'm still not sure he's a great route runner by any means. That was my biggest question with him coming out, but he's so explosive with the ball in his hands that I'm, I'm not sure his route running is necessarily a huge uh, issue at this point, similar to also Noah Fant, who's in our Rolling Rook segment, who just get the ball in his hands. You know, you don't have to always beat one-on-one coverage to produce. 
that's Noah Fant, even though uh, <laughs> I had to crack up because he had that contested catch touchdown, you know, the post route up the middle, the oh, seam yeah. route a little up the middle of the field. I was like, oh, damn, Noah Fant, like, caught a contested catch. Like, that was the biggest issue for him coming out of Iowa. We just never really saw him fight for a football. And then you see the high, the replay of it, and he's bobbling. Like, it ends up between his legs with him on the ground. That's how he caught it. He didn't actually catch it really in his hands, but still counts as a touchdown nonetheless. So, a big day for Noah Fant as well. Yep. Let's go ahead. And, uh, you got to bring up Drew Locke, too. I mean, Drew Locke had a pretty decent game. I, there were some scary moments, but I think the biggest ca- uh, takeaway for me is he can actually throw some fire on that ball. He had some great arm talent. I mean, showed off some great arm talent in this game, took advantage of Noah Fant quite a bit. And I think it was very impressive to see this Broncos offense with Drew Locke at the helm. It wasn't without mistakes, yes. but I, w- I was impressed with what he did. I would say definitely a raise the glass, not necessarily. So the numbers probably look better, 22 of 27. Uh, you know, a few touchdowns look better than how he actually played because that was a terrible, terrible interception they threw. Had another near interception, uh, and, and he was breaking out of some clean pockets. Had more time and ran into some pressure in his own right. But I think, like you mentioned, in terms of pure arm talent, when he was throwing it where the ball was supposed to be going, was very good. And he threw a handful of throws with anticipation. First drive, I think he had two of uh, his best throws of the day, and they kind of almost like shut him down in terms of the play. Play calling they were not going downfield after that got really conservative had a big lead i don't blame them so uh not really on him but a lot of his production after that first drive was sort of like schemed and after the catch i think like 60 something percent of his yards were after the catch after that so uh not on him but very encouraging first uh second performance i guess from drew lock there how about DeAndre Baker, 89.7 PFF coverage grade in week 14, including three passes defense. And looking at his last three games, only two receptions allowed for 32 yards from 12 targets. An impressive three-game stretch, a little bit of a blemish there in week 13 in terms of allowing that big play. But I do think he's getting better, which, I mean, coming out of Georgia, he graded really well. We were high on this guy. I think this is nice to see. Well, this was the perfect wide receiving core for DeAndre Baker. and Zero speed. You know, no one who's going to challenge him deep whatsoever. Six tight ends. So he just... <laughs> Yeah, he just sits on that underneath stuff. He was, you know, three of his targets were came against Greg Ward, you know, a former college quarterback. So that helps too. So, but he said two PBUs, one of five targets, only seven yards. Hey, that's like that's if he's going up against a slower wide receiver, I feel good about him being able to shut that guy down. Mm-hmm. Greg Ward though looked kind of spry. Don't hate on Greg Ward after the catch. You know, college quarter. A little little spry there. Okay, last guy on the Rolling Rooks here. Let's bring up Devin White, a guy that has struggled significantly. I go on this Tampa Bay Radiohead every week, and mm-hmm. he asks me, "How's Devin White looking?" I always say, "Struggling a bit against the run. His run defense grades continue to kind of be low. He's struggling mm-hmm. to get off blocks in that regard. But from a coverage standpoint, that athleticism is showing up. He was the highest graded coverage linebacker in college football a year ago, and you're kind of starting to see why here in Tampa Bay. I mean, he's so fast, so athletic can cover so much ground three coverage stops in this game an 84.9 coverage grade in week 14 Devin White a good thing to see yeah you're finally seeing him sort of the game slowing down and he's getting uh, to his assignments a lot quicker than he was early on in the season and, and that's a good thing to see it was only a matter of time I mean you don't have athleticism the way you're not that level of an athlete and you don't produce the way he did at LSU and then go to the NFL and just completely never figure it out like it was going light was switch was going to flip at some point I, I think if you're a Bucks fan it looks like it 
pretty much has this past two weeks. 79.5 coverage grade last week against Jacksonville, 84.9 this week against Indianapolis. That's a very good sign for the Bucks. And we always say this with rookies, too. You have to see it. you got to try and see it in this first year. And mm-hmm. I think down the stretch is a huge opportunity for teams in and out of the hunt to look at rookies and see if they're improving down the stretch. DeAndre Baker and Devin White showing that in the in the coverage grades numbers here. Let's go to the blackout segment. My favorite one. My favorite, my favorite thing of the weekend is the blackout here. But we have Quincy Williams and Mac Wilson, two guys that are struggling quite a bit this past week. <laughs> That's, I mean, that's an understatement. And they were struggling for the season. Mac Wilson, four missed tackles. On but he had that great preseason game. He did have a great preseason oh. game. But yeah, could not tackle Joe Mixon to save his life. Uh, has a 40.8 grade on the season now. So it's been bad for him, but as bad as it's been for him. I mean, Quincy Williams coming from Murray State, third round. Looks like he's still trying to tackle guys FCS like he just looks like he's completely out of his depth. Has a 32.5 grade now for the season. The last two weeks. 107 snaps he's played doesn't have a single stop hasn't made a single tackle not not a single tackle hasn't had a single tackle that has resulted in a stop for the defense that's bad that's like that's awful that's very very bad that's just, just not you're not involved in the play i yeah, mean you're just, just rarely involved exactly. in the play. That, how, how the mighty have fallen that jack's defense they're trotting out andrew wingard for sing, significant snaps too former wyoming safety they don't have a ton of speed that's anymore aj Bouye has definitely lost a step though he's still you know playing well in coverage i think they need speed and they need it now last two guys on the blackout segment here before we jump off kyler murray Oh, man, this is one of his worst games of the season, if not the worst game of the season. Yeah, the last two weeks, grades of 27.2 in week 13 against the Rams, 29.9 this past week. Uh, that two-minute drill is as bad as it gets. Like, that was just not a complete lack of understanding of the situation. Uh, just not good quarterback play either in terms of what he was doing. Took two sacks in the two-minute drill. Can we mention like, that he's short? I mean, might as well. <laughs> Can't see his receivers. It was just bad. Three picks this past week. Uh, that was as bad as I've seen him play all year. And it's having him get worse as the season goes on is unencouraging last thing i want to talk on here and i think it's a good finisher how upset are the indianapolis colts for taking paris campbell over some of these other receivers in this class because paris campbell three catches for 12 yards on five targets with a drop this past week no first downs man it has not been impressive and we said this him coming out of ohio state yes he's got speed a pretty decent athlete here but he doesn't have this production on these downfield routes not a nuanced route runner and you're starting to see that now he can't create separation he's only a yards after the catch guy and what can you yeah. do with them you know yes yeah, so they took him over dk metcalf terry mclaurin deontay johnson uh, even Miles Boykin, they'd probably rather have. Imagine right now. scouting Ohio State he's, and seeing Paris Campbell as the better player. 18 catches on the year. Seven of them were screens. So over a third of his catches have been screens, and only five have resulted in first downs of his 18 catches. That's. It's, and they need receiver. It's like they need someone to step up. Mm-hmm. That's not good. That's awful. I mean, you have to set lower expectations for him because he doesn't have that experience running a mm-hmm. downfield route tree and all that stuff. But again, you're looking for production first and foremost. I'll tell you right now, Terry McLaurin would have given that to you and then some, even with Jacoby Brissett under center. Definitely a miss for the Colts right now. Obviously, yes. he has an opportunity we'll to get better. But in terms of from the sample size so far, Terry McLaurin winning that battle by a landslide. He's the highest graded rookie receiver in football right now. And right mm-hmm. now, I look at all rookie receiving grades dating back to 2006 here in the PFF era. He ranks inside the top 10 in rookie receiving grades. So he's, he's in some elite company for mm-hmm. sure. That's going to do it for the 2 for 1 Draft Podcast. Thanks for tuning in with Mike and I. Remember, you can see us on YouTube Tuesdays and Thursdays. We're also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Thanks again.